tonight on Special Edition. Oh, you're all dead. I talk about the latest hot podcast, Black Hands, and what I reckon happened. Also, updates on the Grenfell Tower disaster and the Matthew Levison case. And I speak to Fiona, one of the people that was involved in the search for Cleon Jackman. So, grab a beer and pull up a deck chair. This is True Crime Island Special Edition. So, True Crime Islanders, first things first. The Matthew Levison inquest will resume August 23rd and three days have been set aside. As you may remember, I did episode four about Matthew, who went missing on the 23rd of September 2007. Michael Atkins, his boyfriend, was charged with his murder, but acquitted by jury in 2009. Damning evidence was ruled inadmissible but Atkins was compelled to give evidence on a coronial inquiry in 2016. Atkins' cooperation with police followed an unprecedented deal struck with the New South Wales Attorney-General, giving him immunity from prosecution for perjury at the inquest in return for information leading to the recovery of Matthew's body. On the 31st of May this year, Human remains were found at the Royal National Park in an area that had been previously searched. The remains were confirmed to be those of Matthew a few days later. Grenfell Tower disaster. So the Metropolitan Police sent letters out to the former residents of the tower informing them, and I quote, there are reasonable grounds to suspect that each organisation may have committed the offence of corporate manslaughter. So, I hear you say, what the fuck is corporate manslaughter? Well, let me enlighten you. Now, I lifted this from uh, The Sun and Sky News. Corporate manslaughter is a criminal offence in England and Wales used to prosecute companies accused of causing a person or person's death. The Corporate Manslaughter and Corporate Homicide Act came into force across the UK in April 2008. Before this act was brought in, companies could be prosecuted for causing death under the offence of gross negligence manslaughter. But in order for the prosecution to be successful, a senior individual in the company would also have to be accountable. The new act provided that the company itself could be found guilty of the offence. The Crown Prosecution Service says the offence was created to provide a means of accountability for very serious management failings across the organisation. But one MP has said charges of gross negligence manslaughter should be pursued because corporate manslaughter only carries a fine. In due course, a senior representative of each corporation will be formally interviewed by police in relation to the potential offence. This interview will not take place immediately since it's important that all relevant facts 
and information have been gathered before any such interview is conducted. Yvette Williams, a coordinator at the Justice for Grenfell campaign group, said the development would help restore trust between the police and the community. She said, we welcome that there's enough information and evidence to go down the corporate prosecution route for the Tenant Management Organisation and the Royal Borough of Kensington and Chelsea. However, what we would like to see running alongside that is individuals being prosecuted. We want What we want is individuals named and prosecuted. You can have both, but we don't want corporate manslaughter on its own. People implement policy, people make decisions, people took particular actions, and those people are responsible. You can't put corporate organisations in the dock. You put individuals. Labor MP David Lammy, who lost a friend in the fire, said a fine for any organisation prosecuted would not represent justice. He said gross negligence manslaughter carries a punishment of prison time and I hope that the police and the CPS are considering manslaughter caused by gross negligence. So, it looks like the Corporate Manslaughter and Corporate Homicide Act was brought in so company executives could be at arm's length from the decisions they make and implement. Now, that's all too convenient. But it looks like if investigators want to also bring charges of gross negligence manslaughter to those involved, they can do this also. In reality, people need to go to prison for a long time so that the next corporate austerotype, and that's my word for the day, thinks twice before cutting costs. What makes this tragedy more disgusting is the extra cost to supply fireproof materials with such a minuscule amount of the budget to renovate the building. Now don't get me wrong, I'm not against wealth at all. What I am against is accumulating that wealth by taking from those that have the least in this world. Get the project under budget and get a huge bonus. That's half the problem. So I'm sure we'll hear more from the uh, Grenfell Tower disaster as time goes on. Okay, a bit more on the Cleon Jackman case from last week. Now, I spoke to Fiona, who was involved in the search for Cleon Jackman and who would ultimately call police with details on who had abducted him. I did record a call with Fiona, but the quality was really bad. So I'll go through the main points of my call. So first I asked her how she initially became aware of Cleon's disappearance and what happened then. Now Fiona told me, I didn't know Cleon, but I was part of the community helping to find him and I was the one that called police with information on who may have been involved. Fiona told me she was studying at Bugalari Community Centre at the time and they'd held a meeting about the disappearance of Cleon 
and so she helped to put up posters and distribute flyers. Now, when I asked her about uh, what if police did enough when Cleon was reported missing, uh, Fiona said, uh, no, uh, police kept telling the community that because of his chequered past, that he was just hiding out. I then asked Fiona if the initial sentences handed out were sufficient. And she told me, no, I was in prison with those two and them being out now, well, they should have looked into it. It was a closed case. There is a lot more than the pu- that the public should know. There was a cover-up type thing. What was actually done to him was disgraceful. The way they left him, he was unrecognisable. So then I uh, spoke about Papali and how she's been deported to New Zealand and is now distancing herself from the events of that day. And now uh, Papali said in an interview, I've always said I'm not completely innocent. I was innocent of what I've been charged with, but I was, I was there and I couldn't prevent what was happening. The media made out like I tortured him, but I never touched him. The right thing was going to be done to Cleon, but that changed over time. So I asked Fiona what she thought about that statement and whether she would have said that during her parole hearing. Fiona said no, because she was there, she also did what they did to him. She could have stopped it. She didn't stop it. This went overboard. They could have let him go and handed him to the police and let him go, but they didn't. They chose to keep him. So I asked her about uh, meeting Bardsley and Papali in prison. Fiona said, I spoke to Darren, that's Bardsley, and spoke to Rebecca, which is Papali. It was pretty difficult for me as I've lived this ever since it happened. Mourning for a child that I didn't even know. And people not getting the right justice and the truth is not completely out there. Whilst in prison, I got to know Rebecca. What she said in that statement She didn't say anything like that when she was in prison. And she said she didn't have much to do with it and that if she could have stopped it, but she couldn't stop something like that from happening. I asked her if she seemed remorseful at all in prison. She then said no, neither of them. She said that the attack was not a drug-induced rage at all, but it was a plain-out evil, sadistic act. They were evil. Just pure evil. Fiona then went on to say, When it went to court and into the media, it angered me, as the truth wasn't out there. You expect the media to tell the truth about an incident, not sort of cover it up as well. What they did to him was pure evil. There was no necessity to do what they did to him. Fiona also said that Bardsley and Papali are happily living their lives now. Bardsley got to go home to a son. Papali got to go home to a mum. But Cleon got to go into a grave. He never got the chance to be an adult, to be a father, to be a brother to his sister. No justice was given to him. So I, I thank you, Fiona, for your time today. We spoke about a lot of things and I hope I got to the main points. 
We may have to revisit this in the near future and set up a Skype connection to record a proper interview because there's been a lot of sweeping under the carpet in this case that we should look into further. Okay, next, David Bain. Yes, they're all dead, dickhead, because you killed them, you fucking idiot. So, this week was the release of Martin Van Banen's Black Hands, the 10-part podcast about David Bain, the guy that went to prison for murdering his family in 1994, and he was released on bail in May 2007. The retrial in June 2009 ended with his acquittal on all charges. Now, I've done an episode on this earlier, but uh, you've really got to have a listen to Martin Van Banen's Black Hands. If you haven't heard it yet and you don't want any spoilers, well, pause this and go and have a listen. So, some basic background. At around 7.09am on the morning of June 20, 1994, David Bain calls emergency services freaking out and screaming, They're all dead! They're all dead! Police arrive and find David's father, mother, two sisters and brother all shot and all dead. Four days later, David Bain would be charged with their murders. In May 1995... His trial lasted for three weeks, and at the conclusion of the trial, Bain was convicted by the jury on five counts of murder and sentenced to life imprisonment with a 16-year non-parole period. Now, all along, Bain pleads that he's innocent and that his father must have been the perp. Former All Black Joe Karam felt something was wrong with the case and mounted a campaign to have Bain's convictions overturned. I'm not a Kiwi and I wasn't there at the time, but this case split the community. Bain had his supporters and, of course, he had those that thought he was a murdering asshole. So there's a retrial that commenced on the 6th of March 2009 and Bain again pleaded not guilty to five counts of murder. The trial lasted about three months, with the jury finding Bain not guilty on all five charges. Now, if it's pretty much a given that it was either David Bain or Robin Bain, his father, that was the killer, now, then let's put Robin in the dock and we'll have a look at trying him for the murders. There's absolutely no evidence at all that Robin did it. Even if you say Robin has motive in killing his daughter that he was allegedly having an incestuous affair with, why kill any of the others if you're going to kill yourself? Also, Robin had no blood on him or his clothes at all, And uh, the defence tried to say that he changed his clothes and put them in the washing machine and then put on nice clothes because he was a Christian man and was going to meet his maker. Now, what sort of Christian person goes around murdering their family and the clothes he was found in were just scungy clothes, the sort of clothes you might have next to your bed after you sort of wake up and it's cold. 
So uh, it wasn't, you, you just can't take the defence seriously on that count. Also, why would Robin bother to pick up the newspaper and bring it into the house like he did every day? It was on one of the side tables. It was unread. And there's absolutely no reason to do that if you're going to go and kill your family and then kill yourself. He also had a bladder full of piss. And why not go for a leak first, then kill the family? Why type the suicide note on the computer that he had to boot up to do when he could have written a note that would also have been in his handwriting. This would have also uh, stopped David being a suspect if there was a suicide note written in Robin's handwriting. There were no fingerprints of Robin on the rifle. Uh, Robin may have known where the key to the trigger lock for the rifle was, but uh, why would he take the key out of the jar for the trigger lock then put the lid back on, and then a little bag was put on top of the jar, on top of the lid. Now, why go to that uh, extent uh, when you're just going to kill your family? So there's just so little evidence at all that Robin enacted the crime. But there is so much evidence that it was David. Remember, there was no third party involved If there was, even a hint that there was, the defence team would have brought it up and hammered it home. Now, when you look at the evidence that David was the perp, it's very, very damning. The frantic call to emergency services saying, they're all dead, they're all dead, but then he tells police that he only went into his mother's room and then into the lounge room where he saw his father. So how did he know his siblings were also dead at that time? The fake seizures, which I believe was David starting a narrative, building a scene in case they think they ended up thinking it was him and that he could fall back onto this narrative to say he blanked out and he was temporarily insane. David Bain, he also told a friend that he could rape a girl and use his paper run as an an alibi. I mean, what the fuck? This guy is really sick, and it turns out he did try to use his paper run as an alibi in killing his family. David's clothes have blood from his family all over them, and he's left bloody fingerprints and palm prints around the house, he had scratch marks and wounds on his body consistent consistent with having a fight with his brother and that's where his broken glasses were found in his brother's room. And the emergency services call, the part where he says under his breath, I shot the prick, that was ruled inadmissible in the second trial. Now as David walked from the courtroom out to the waiting media, one jury member hugged David and another shook his hand. Later that night, both these jury members could be seen attending David's release party. Now rumours were that these jury members were actually David Bain supporters. Journalist Martin Van Bainen noted 
that the two, the two jurors spent the last three weeks of the trial giggling and writing messages to each other. Look, it's only my opinion. But this prick is guilty as hell. And all that bullshit about the black hands that were taking his family, what a fucking idiot. Look, I agree with Martin. David Bain is guilty. Now, David Bain is disappointed with the decision that he will not receive compensation for wrongfully spending 13 years in prison. Justice Minister Amy Adams said that retired Judge Ian Callanan had found that Bain was not innocent on the balance of probabilities. As a result of the decision, the government would not be making an apology or compensating Bain for the time he spent in prison. The payment was ex gratia, meaning it's made for moral rather than legal reasons and has nothing to do with the merits of Bain's claim. However, Adams also said that Bain's team had promised to make a legal challenge to Callanan's report. In an unusual move, the government has agreed to make an ex gratia payment to Bain in the interest of bringing closure to the long-running claim. A full and final payment of $925,000 has been accepted by the Bain's team. The money was equivalent to $195 for each day Bain spent in prison a total of 13 years before his acquittal in a retrial in 2009. Not bad for a failed university student whose only contribution to society was making sure a few people got their newspapers delivered on time. Now, Adam stressed that the payment was not compensation and had been offered solely to avoid further litigation and costs to the Crown. So what they're saying here is that he was unable to prove himself innocent on a balance of probabilities, so he couldn't get compensated for wrongful conviction. Now, the former Australian Supreme Court Judge Ian Callanan looked at all the evidence, and his job was to say whether he was satisfied Bain had proved whether he was innocent on the balance of probabilities. In other words, he had to be happy Bain was more probably innocent than guilty. The evidence provided by Bain's defence failed to reach that threshold in Callanan's view. The conclusion from that alleged failure is inescapable. If he can't show he probably didn't do it, he probably did it. Now, this payment will be split between him and his legal team, so we'll never really know exactly how much he got. Now, Bain had the gall to say, quite frankly, the only thing I have to say to Mrs. Ms. Adams and everybody that's been involved in this case to date, that they've got it wrong. I am innocent. So, Bain's changed his name. Bain's changed his name to William David Cullen Davis. I'll say it again. William David Cullen Davis. Just remember that. Now, tr- him and his wife, their Christchurch house is on the market 
for $440,000 and the family have part of $925,000 to spend after that the government made that ex gratia payment to Bain earlier this year for the expenses incurred in his compensation claim. It said he wants to move to Australia but has not indicated where. So, true crime islanders, make sure you study what that asshole looks like in case he moves next door to you. So in the long run, he got what he wanted. He got all his family's assets and a suitcase full of money after only serving 13 years in prison, and now he's a free man. Yes, they are, you prick. You killed them. Okay, so that's about it. Let's get to the last part of tonight, and that's where uh, I say hi to everybody and uh, go through a bit of the business. So I'm going to say hi to Macromode77, and yes, Outback Steakhouse is just an illusion. A corporate vision of what they think a, a traditional Australian Outback Steakhouse should be, which I'm not really sure what an Outback Australian Steakhouse is. Christy, my beer in Thailand... And in Sydney, when I can get it, is Beer Chung. And in Sydney, also when I can get it, it's Reshes. It refreshes. Hi to Lindy, who's always posts uh, all the cat stories, which I love, and plenty of other things. Jerry, Amy, Sarah, and Vivian, thank you for always keeping me in touch with the Grenfell disaster and updates there. Hi to Jason who's always there to support the show and have his say, even though he drinks 4X beer. Senga, I hope you're feeling better. And there's a new word, Senga Lapot. You'll have to ask Senga about that one. Hi to Heather, who helps maintain the rage, and you've got such a lovely cat too. Hi to James Atkins, who's been working a long, long way away from some of her loved ones. Don't forget Tara and Barney from Bloody Murder Podcast. Give them a listen. They're doing very, very well. It's a great show. Shags, your episode suggestion I will be looking at, along with a few others that I've received. And uh, if we look at Patreon, it's going quite well, and I thank all the current and new Patreon donors. Uh, New Patreon uh, donors, we've got uh, Ed Hawkins, Doug Rydak, Randy Stratton, Claire Jeans, and Joe has, has joined and upped the amount. <clears throat> now, thanks to the, uh, for the support of the island. Uh, the hosting fees are nearly due, so this should cover those, and I really do appreciate it so much. Now, don't forget there is a ticket to give away to Sydney My Favourite Murder and a shirt for Patreon members. Uh, the draw, draw will happen early September. Anyone who can go to the show are in the running for the ticket and everyone else goes into a draw for a T-shirt. So that's join up to Patreon. Also, if you don't want to commit to a monthly donation, the island accepts PayPal as well using cambo at truecrimeisland.com as the email address. Okay, so you don't have to give money to support the island. Just spread the word and introduce a friend to the wide world of podcasts. If they need assistance, hook them up and show them how to listen in. Now, don't forget, the website is www.truecrimeisland.com, where all the links you need are there. 
There's iTunes, Stitcher, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Also, there's a link to Patreon and the merch store. Stickers and stubby coolers are on the way. Join the uh, True Crime Island Closed Facebook group and send in suggestions or chat about the cases. And I've got to get my promos in order, but tonight I'm going to run Ed's Unfound Podcast one again this week as he really does an amazing job. And congratulations to Ed for hitting number one in his category on iTunes this week. Also, an extra promo uh, for The Minds of Madness, which has just released another great episode. You've got to really listen to it. Speaking of iTunes, I keep saying I'll read out some reviews. So here goes a few from the Aussie iTunes site. Okay, the first one is from Ross Penny. The best. This podcast has become one of my absolute must-listens. And not just because it's an Aussie podcast. It is real, tell-it-like-it-is, and no-holes-barred production and packs a punch. A lot of thought goes into it. Always a pleasure. Thanks, Ross Penny. Another one is uh, Lil Biddy. I've changed my review from the four and a half stars I gave the podcast a few months ago. Up to the five stars I honestly believe the podcast is deserving of. Cambo, the host, has a very dry sense of humour. You will really enjoy his manner of speaking and the slang he uses. He doesn't just get bogged down in unnecessary details, but manages to flesh out the backgrounds of the stories he covers so you have a very good understanding of what's going on. You can tell that Cambo is emotionally invested in these cases he covers, especially the Grenfell disaster episode. He says what everyone else is thinking, and he's not afraid of calling a spade a spade. Grab a beer and pick up a chair, pull up a deck chair, because Cambo has your true crime requirements covered. Thanks, little little bitty. Uh, yeah, well, I guess so. Yeah, thank you very much. Uh, another one. I only got a couple more. Uh, Lady uh, Tracy Ladylock. In a market saturated with true crime podcasts, this is not only one of the best Australian ones, but one of the best, full stop. Just the facts and a well-constructed story. Thank you very much. Uh, One more from Murder Australia, a Murder Oz. Good stuff. Cambo really gets into his story. So, look, thank you. Thank you very much. I'll have a few more reviews to to call out uh, every episode. So that'll be really good. All right. Next. Well, Bubby the True Crime Cat tells me there is no next and I have to go and feed her. So that's about it for this week. I'm your host, Cambo. You've been listening to True Crime Island Special Edition. And don't forget to delete your browser history. Now here's a message from Ed and one from the Minds of Madness. Hi, this is Ed Densel, host of the Missing Persons Program, Unfound. Tune in at iTunes, Podomatic, or Stitcher to hear the best, most in-depth interviews with victims' families, law enforcement, and journalists. Unfound leaves no stone unturned as it searches for answers in the cases it covers. So if you like hardcore, no-frills, true crime programs with lots of info that could lead you to do your own investigation, Unfound is for you. And check out the Unfound podcast discussion group on Facebook while you're at it. Thanks. What could an American dad, a university professor, and a passenger on a bus possibly have in common? 
You can find out by listening to the Minds of Madness podcast, where we uncover the series of events and state of mind leading ordinary people to do unthinkable things. The Minds of Madness is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, and all other major podcast apps.